Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Hey, folks, I'm so glad to have here with me today my guests, John DiGirolamo and Angela Ray Clark. We've got a twofer today, y'all. This is the first time in Beyond Surviving History, so I'm excited about it. And we're going to be really digging into cultural influences that feed human trafficking, such as pornography. And so just a little bit about John. He's a critically acclaimed author, speaker, and anti-human trafficking advocate. He wrote the book, It's Not About the Sex, because he believes that human trafficking is one of the most underreported issues of our day that cuts across all economic, social, racial, and political boundaries. And I agree 100%. Um, and he has really been focused on gathering stories from rural and suburban America, wanting to really shine a light. And one of those stories was Angela's. And Angela happens to also be a writer and a speaker uh, and was, again, featured in John's book. And she's also a dear friend and colleague of mine. If you go enough far enough back in the archives of the podcast, you will find an interview um, where Angela and I you know, had the opportunity to connect um, and share and discuss, but I'm just so glad to have both of you here. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. 
Okay. So we're digging into a really tough topic today. It's exactly as you say, one of those topics that doesn't get a lot of um, traction a lot of times and doesn't end up in the spotlight. Um, and it's fascinating why that is. And I think that'll be something for us to kind of talk about why we, we're starting to see more people coming out about incest and molestation um, and rape, but not sex trafficking. And so as you set out on this adventure, John, you said, I'm writing a book and you, you know, started to lay the foundation for that and started to put together the pieces of the puzzle for it and map it out as we all do when we've decided to, you know, take on a task like that. Um, and then you, did you have the title first or did the title come to you after completing the interviews and having conversations with people who had experienced sex trafficking? Yeah, the title was really uh, something I developed early on. Uh, I did not want the, the book to be salacious or sensational. Uh, it is about sex trafficking, but I, I really wanted to give these different perspectives on this particular subject and, and get their stories, give them voices. And uh, you know, I really liked Angela's story because it's, it's a true story of, of a survivor and the healing journey that she went on. And it's, it's, it's you know, decades long, which I thought would be a really interesting perspective for the reader. So that was kind of my initial thought on, on the title was um, you know, really kind of telling stories as opposed to something you know, really Hollywoodized. Okay. Okay. I feel that. Thank you. And Angela, you shared when we were connecting before, before we started the show today that you have a perspective about the title. It's not about the sex as well. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So for me, trafficking and rape and all the other crimes, uh, sexual violence crimes are really not, a, it's not about sex. It's about the power over, which I think has been proven time and again, that it's that it's the power over. And I've said it many times, if my grandfather, who was my trafficker and my child sex abuse uh, perpetrator, if he had had a knife or a gun, it, was a one, it would be one and done, he'd be in prison. But the predators, some of them choose the weapon of sex. And that's a weapon that can be used over and over again and often go um, for decades in silence. So, um, so that to me, that's what that means. But I also get John's bigger perspective. Like it is, it's not about sex. It's, it's about the healing and about the living in spite mm -hmm. of something that's mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. 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 Uh, I appreciate both of those perspectives. Yeah. You know, it's a way of creating, um, you know, accessibility I hear on, on one hand and also a way of changing the dialogue that as long as we continue to think about this as you know, an issue of sex, it actually, because there is so much shame-based thinking, particularly in this country about sex, keeps people away, I think, is, is a perspective I have. And when you start to change the conversation to this is about power, this is about control, this is about dominance, maybe that feels a little more accessible. I'm curious, John, in your journeys and in trying to bring this conversation forward, you know, what have been the points of resistance? Do you find that to be true? Like, what would be your take on why having these conversations can be so difficult? Or maybe you're not finding that these days. Maybe you're actually finding more receptivity. But yeah, what are you noticing out there? Well, I think initially when I, when I tell people this is the subject matter of my book, 
uh, I get a couple of reactions and one of them is, well, that doesn't really happen that often. It doesn't happen uh, here. It's something that happens in you know, foreign countries, that, that kind of thing, which of course is not true at all. And, um, and, and something like, well, it doesn't happen in nice towns type of thing. And of course it does happen in small towns and suburbia. And mm -hmm. when I go in and, and talk to people, they'll, they'll say, I don't want to read these, these uh, tragic stories, essentially, is, is what they say. So I definitely have received resistance on just getting people to read the book and talk about it. I, I think there's a lot of uh, people who think that it just doesn't exist, even though it's really kind of under everyone's nose. And... Um, and so when I, when I talk to people about the book, uh, a lot of times I point to Angela's story and I say, look, this is, you could really look at this as an inspirational story of how this person survived this and came out the other side. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that people who have been exploited by trafficking, many times they land up on drugs, they're homeless, they don't have long mm -hmm. lives and it usually has a tragic end. But yet Angela's story is this, really this healing journey that's still going on today. And, and I think people can find inspiration from that because everybody has something in their life they need to heal from and, and they can kind of use that uh, to, to kind of apply to their own life, even though they may not have had a similar experience as Angela. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give us just some general statistics so that, you know, sometimes people like like numbers when you think about, you know, the occurrence of sex trafficking in this country? Um, do we have any clear statistics about what those numbers really look like? Well, yeah, there, there's definitely some stats out there. You know, it, it's predominantly with minors. Um, so we're talking about children in, you know, who are teenagers. It, it, it's typical. Um, it happens to boys, just like girls. Boys are about 40 to 45 percent. And it's usually through someone that you know, a family member, a peer, a neighbor, or somebody that you've met online. It's not the somebody snatches you up on the street corner and throws you into mm -hmm. a van and kidnaps you. That's about 5 percent. So those mm -hmm. are some of the stats. And, you know, I, I interviewed a law enforcement officer in Denver, and, and he said that they work on maybe 100 cases a year. He felt that there was maybe 1,000 cases in the Denver metro area. So they're barely scratching the surface. And I think oh, those yeah. are numbers that if you're not really in tune to what's going on are, are pretty surprising. That is surprising. Yeah. And distressing because that, yeah, that means there's so many people who are not, you know, receiving help and, and a pathway out um, of this circumstance. I also find it really fascinating, you know, that you, what you said there, that you, the majority, which we know is true also in the case of molestation and incest is the person, you know, somebody that we know. And that to me speaks to how this also remains so hidden, because if it is a stranger who snatches a kid off the street, right, we've got the police immediately and it's kidnapping and all these things like start to kind of go right into effect. But when it's happening, you know, under the shield of quote unquote family, then it can stay, you know, kind of in the background. Angela, was that a little bit of, of your experience and what contributed to, to what happened to you? Yeah, and that's what I think it's really good to point out is that when the child or youth is snatched or even an adult is, is snatched and taken and disappears, 
we have set up because we had some incredible advocates when it was their children and their family members, they, they went and lobbied and got a series of events to take place that it, we're gonna support getting that person found. And in the incest world, in child sex trafficking world, those things don't really exist yet. We don't have the alert system. There's no interruption is sloppy, messy and hard. And we don't have a solid game plan. Foster uh, system is not a healthy place. And that it, there's a high rate of um, occurrence for trafficking victims when they've been through the foster care system. So there's, there's just so many, it's a much harder, bigger thing. And we're only talking about less than 5% of the trafficking victims that are actually abducted and going through uh, you know, a, a disappearance thing. The rest of them, you know, 95% of us, it is the people in our community. And when we don't wanna look at that as a community, therein is the core root problem, just like with child sex abuse and uh, incest. Um, so it, when we look at the grooming and the, all, the whole culture that helps support trafficking happening and child sex abuse images and different things that we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's that same, it's the same structure. It's the same dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great segue. I mean, I'll just bounce back to one thing that you said there, John, which I fully support because it's really a big philosophy in the beyond surviving world too, which is that we're, we're here exploring trauma through the lens of a story of healing. And so having those inspirations and having those narratives out there that say, yes, I lived this. Yes, I went through this and I got out and I'm thriving and I'm moving on with my life is so important. So I just champion you for creating that and going after those stories through that lens and giving people that platform yeah I'd love to dig into the why um it's so layered there are so many you know reasons and impacts and influences that you know add up to having a culture in which this even happens right um so let's talk about that a little bit John what would you say are some of the the major contributors or um you kind of phrase it as the fuel which I think is a really like powerful analogy too it's like oh there's like this machine that's running and there's this you know we keep pouring the fuel into it that keeps it happening what are what are some of those cultural things that really fuel human trafficking in your mind sure you know if you stay if you take a step back if you look at the demand side of trafficking, typically that person is married, middle-aged, has a job, many times has kids. They look like a regular person in society. So you can't just pick them out. When you see headlines of somebody being arrested for images of child pornography, for example, you know, that's also a, a similar profile. They look like a regular person in society. And so, you get this false sense of security when you think, oh, this person seems normal, they wouldn't be doing these nefarious things. Um, right. And so we're, 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 you know, part of it is, I think, a, a breakdown in, in, in the morals of, of society. And you're also seeing the cultural influence of, of pornography, which kind of makes um, gratification that's purely physical, not in, say, you know, a marital setting, a healthy relationship type of situation. So you're getting this normalization of creating explicit images and 
what is typically pornography push? They're, they're, they're pushing, you know, someone who looks very, very young and as many times is actually young, is actually a minor. And so when, when people are viewing that and it's normalizing that, then it, it makes it seem like, well, everyone else is doing it. It doesn't seem so bad. And that gets in, of course, that's faulty thinking and that gets into the culture. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think I would agree with that word normalization. I think mm -hmm. we've way too many bad behaviors, you know, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, uh, the pornography, yes, uh, all of the, the abuse, the power, you know, the power over. That's mm -hmm. a little bit glorified in a lot of ways and not even a little bit. I'm just going to say it's glorified in this country. And, and it's part of our success culture. You know, if we're a successful, you know, person in business or whatever, it's because we've had a power over in some way. Um, so I think that that's that normalization and we have to unnormalize it. We have to figure out how to interrupt the cycle so that we can create a different and better and healthier um, point. There's one thing I want to say for people that are listening, child pornography, just like child prostitution doesn't. That's not our best terminology anymore. We are now saying child sex abuse images because we want to be or a child sex abuse material, CSAM, um, because we want the abuse yeah. to be prevalent in the naming of this rather than uh, pornography, which lends itself to a little bit of a, a choice and there's no choice mm -hmm. in it. Yeah, cheers to that, Angela. It's such an important point. And I think it gets tricky because through the lens of, you know, sex positivity, there's a spectrum of pornography or there's a, I'll call it a, a tome of pornography, a segment of it, where it is beneficial, it's supportive. There are couples that are able to kind of, you know, use pornography in a way that supports, you know, healing and, you know, understanding sex and there and used in a correct context and, and all of these kinds of layers. There are ways in which pornography supports people who are not able-bodied or are not able to access sex for some reason. And yet, there's, you know, gosh, there's this whole other big category where, yeah, imaging about what sex is, the girl, woman's, person's role in sex is detrimental to the way that we think about sex and power and dynamics. Absolutely. Child sexual assault imaging is no bueno in any context whatsoever. And so it gets layered when you think about, like, how do we... Um, how do we start to regulate? And, and I guess that would be my next question is, okay, so if we think that like in this space that a contributing factor is pornography of this particular sort and type, so how do you approach that? What do you do about that? What would, what would be your take on that, John? What would you love to see happen to address that? Well, yeah, you know, if you look at some of the stats, some of the early viewing is, is now at that eight to 10 year old uh, age. And I think you get this warped sense of relationship. You get this warped sense of, of what an intimate um, you know, sexual relationship should be like. And that leads to things like sexting, which is prevalent in middle school and high school. And you know, most of the pornography trends are becoming more violent towards women. So it really gives you this very warped view. And 
if somebody is an adult and they're essentially taking advantage of exploiting a child, then that just has to be hammered home that that's, that that's wrong. And that's you know something, unfortunately with technology, it's made it easier for people to do that, for people to be a predator online. Uh, and so that's, that's made it more difficult. And, and I think it starts with you know, the parenting of, of trying to steer kids away from, from that kind of activity, viewing those kinds of things, sending pictures to their friends, that, that type of thing. If you wanna do that as an adult, that's one thing, but when you're 13, I don't think you really understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, that, ahead, so, okay. So the um, law enforcement, I think historically, uh, child sex abuse images uh, have not been dealt with appropriately. People get a little slap on the wrist. They get maybe three to six months and it's not been uh, in, you know, that's comes from the law, the legal system, not having appropriate right action to be able to really talk about the harm that this creates. And of course, the internet being introduced, you know, child sex abuse material, I was imaged when I was, it was Polaroids back in my day, right? And they right. were trading Polaroids. So it's a very different thing today when it can live online, which of course those Polaroids from back then could be scanned in and they could still live online as well. But it, the ability to have, a, you know, thousands more viewers, makes create makes that a much bigger crime and so yeah. i think we need to change our laws so that we're addressing it appropriately mm -hmm. how do you all feel about the the talk that's happening now around kind of creating actual age restrictions uh for things like TikTok and instagram like actually making it like you're not allowed to be on this platform until a particular age and then when you're at that particular age from you know, i think it's like 13 to 18 there's a lot of like kind of monitoring or parental oversight do you think that that would be a supportive contributing factor to uh, at least for the the kids side of things um, and what they're influenced by and what they're exposed to do you think that would have any impact or is it just kind of you know um fodder if you will just to sound like they're doing something i i think it's i personally think it's a distraction i think kids are smart enough to be able to get around parental controls of any sort i had a techie son who was uh, in the first time he was um, expelled, not expelled, but, you know, uh, chastised at school. And I can't remember the right, you know, he had to stay home for three days was I think in fifth grade when he did some hacking using the school's computers. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, he is a, a tech genius, but there's a lot of tech geniuses out there now. Yeah. And I could see yeah. kids doing it for, you know, five bucks. I'll create you a profile that'll circumvent everybody, you know, it, and kids have access to five bucks. So I think that it, it feels like a good attempt, but maybe something we should have started a long time ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> before, mm -hmm. you know, before, yeah, anyway, I don't know what it will. I don't see it making an impact, but I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm Appreciate that. John, any perspective on that you want to share? Yeah, it, it sounds good, but ultimately a, a law does not take the place of an, an active parent. And unfortunately, Agreed. a lot of the kids that are unsupervised, you know, they're, they're going to find a way. And, and 
kids today are so much smarter with social media and technology than they than their parents and let alone the legislators so who are even one more step behind um way more I than the legislators yeah sure. <laughs> i mean yeah the government's never been very good on the technology good God. right so oh, lordy yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. What what's a little bit fascinating to me is to th thinking about sex trafficking in the context of our our modern cu culture right now because sex trafficking is not new. You know, we go back, you know, decades, hundreds, centuries and there is, you know, what we might formulate or conceive as sex trafficking. And so, but there are these things that we're facing. Well, first of all, we want to do something about it. I think that that's a, you know, a cultural shift that there's more awareness that this is not something that we want to be representative of our humanity. Um, and that we want to try our best to eradicate as much of it as possible. And then, yeah, we're up against, you know, you know, very hip kids, and very, you know, access and, you know, even just, even not the phone and social media, but, you know, television and movies and all of the things, you know, that we're, we're having to try to manage on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and then it can be like, you can be doing the best job you absolutely can be doing. And then a friend you know, of your child, you know, exposes them to something. And it's like, oh man, Lord have mercy. I'm just glad that I, I take care of other people. <laughs> from my old babies, man, for you parents out there. I just want to like cheers and celebrations to parents who are like walking the walk right now because it is not an easy time for sure. John, I'm curious as you sat with, actually, I don't know in your book if you have any male survivors highlighted in your story. So I'm curious about that. And then I'm also curious just as you sat and listened um, <clears throat> to the stories that you received, you know, how did that change you? How, how did that impact you? What did you really walk away from with from doing this project? Um, yeah, so there are some boys in, in some of my stories, uh, it, it, not in Angela's, but in some of the others. And um, you know, it, really, it really made me aware of, of the situation because I think I was like most other people. I've seen a few headlines, know a little bit, maybe saw a movie, but didn't really know a whole lot. So for me, it, it really raised a lot of the awareness and um, and, it, and I could really, um, you know, be pleased, I don't want to say pleased, but to really work with the four people that I talked to, to, to kind of give them a voice because I, I, don't, I, I could have never come up with that stuff on my own. And so to work with, with the four people in the book was, was really great to, to uh, add to my knowledge. And I've gone on to speaking engagements and interviews like this and, and have kept, you know, been able to talk about it because awareness is where it starts. You know, you, you talked about how do you solve the problem? And to me, you've got to, you have four parties in my mind. You've got the general public, the criminal, the, the person being exploited, and then uh, who, who is the sex buyer. So all four of those have different ways to, you know, solve that problem or to reduce that. But it starts with the public and being aware. And, and that's where, you know, podcasts like this and people reading the book and going to a presentation by myself or Angela, it, that's where it starts getting people to understand what's going on.
Yeah, cheers to that, John. I really appreciate you being, you know, absolutely a voice and an advocate and an ally. It's so important to take a stand. And Angela, you stepped up to share your story. And I'm just so curious, you know, what was it like for you to participate in this project and to share your story in this way? Yeah, I'm working on my own memoir at the same time. And, and we had a brief conversation about that on the front end. And and I just said to John, I'm super curious about how it's going to come through you as opposed to me. And it was a labor intensive process. I don't know. I've never asked if all the other people took as much time, but he was relentless. Week after week, we showed up. I would review a little bit of material and I would say, well, this, this, I wouldn't phrase it quite this way, or let's, you know, bring in this particular piece of it or you know, this was uh, something that I maybe talked about, but now I see it in print and I just think it's not really important. We could nix that. So he, I was super engaged, maybe because I'm a writer in the editing process. And we, I don't even know, it was like eight or 10 or 12 weeks that we showed right. up every single week for two hours at a stretch and went through it line by line. And that was super important to me to be able to have that kind of influence in how my narrative was approached. Mm -hmm. And I gave him permission Beautiful. to, you know, he created some dialogue in some spaces to make it real and attainable to the readers. And I have no interest in creating dialogue in my book. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so it's really fascinating to see this, you know, shortened version of my story and, you know, with different elements that we decided were important together and so it was a very validating and lovely experience oh and it was God, labor intensive God. for both of us so fun <laughs> and you know I just have to say John it's no small feat to be able to hold space for these kinds of stories um, I know your background is not necessarily you know trauma and you know therapy and these sorts of things so that just right. speaks to the heart that you have the mindfulness that you have and you know the deep care um that you have for, for this these stories and for raising awareness yeah it was really important for me to to be authentic and mm. the only way to do that is to work closely with with uh, the, the person that i'm interviewing and yeah you know each of the stories allowed some amount of creativity of, of creating other characters that are you know, in the story and, and that kind of, I like that because that kind of fills my creative juices, but it all, it's, it all goes back to telling somebody else's story. So it, it's always, you know, trying to keep that all on track. And, and as Angela said, you know, we, we created dialogue with her grandfather, you know, there's no recordings of that. There's no videotape of that. So we had to kind of base that on our best knowledge of that. But in order to keep the reader engaged, you've got to have you know, dialogue, action, thoughts, emotions, et cetera. And, and, and that was part of the process of, okay, does this ring true of what this person was, was probably like, was probably thinking, and some of their background? And so I thought it was a nice combination of a little bit of my creativity, but still ringing true to the experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. I love that so very much. When we think about resources for people who have, I, I think there are two branches of this. You correct me if I'm wrong, people who are currently experiencing this that are in, you know, a circumstance of being trafficked um, and their access to resources might be very, very limited. But if they were 
to be able to get to something, where would you want them to go first? Either of you have a great resource for people if they find if they if they hear this and they're in this circumstance, um, or they fear that their child is in this circumstance. Yeah, where's the best place to start? Well, go ahead, John. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, there is a national hotline uh, as well as many states have a hotline. I think people should definitely start with that. There's a lot of local nonprofits, and then there's other kind of national nonprofits like the. Um, like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, something like that is probably right. a good place to, to start. But um, that's what came to my mind first. Great. Yeah. What about for you, Angela? Uh, I was going to say the national hotline as well. Now, there's something that's really important um, when we're talking about this that just through a project that I did recently, what I heard from survivors that were adults, when somebody called on their behalf without their permission, it actually was very harmful. And some survivors didn't survive it. They chose suicide oh, over dealing with the aftermath in their trafficking situation. That was new information for me. I've called the hotline after being educated about different things. I've called the hotline several times. And so the best, you know, when we're talking about minors, hands down, call the hotline, report yeah. what you can interrupt. Um, but for adults, it can, the ramifications are things that we can't even fathom. And in that, the best thing that we can do is be an ally, a supportive person in their life that says, you know, when you're ready. I'm here mm -hmm. and let them ask for help. And this refers back to the stages of change, Rachel, which you're probably familiar with. And so what we see in trafficking is the recidivism rate is seven times, much like intimate partner violence. And yeah. people have to be ready to exit. Um, so calling the hotline might look differently if you're, if you're aware of a situation and you just want Maybe you want the, to use the hotline as a resource gatherer. Like, what, what can I offer this person next time? Because mm -hmm. hotlines do that as well. They can send you to different local, um, you know, shelters or uh, support groups. And the support group thing being offered was the biggest thing that survivors had said would, might have been helpful and might have been something they would have tried to attend, which was very cool. Yeah, awesome. Ah, thank you both very much. Yeah. So the good news is whatever your experience, there is a place of healing. There are resources out there for you to get support um, wherever you are, you know, in your experience. Um, and the Angela and John are great resources as well. Uh, and then I'll also put in our show notes a link to my resource page um, on this topic so that anyone listening can feel free to pop over there and check out the articles and the, the services and, and various things that are there. So as we start to wrap up today, I feel like we have like touched ugh, like 1% of this conversation. <laughs> There's just so much more, you know, to be said. Um, so I want to give you each an opportunity to do like, what is for you like the, the main thing? Like, I want to make sure no matter what, this is what you all hear. This is what you, what you all get from our conversation. Angela, I'll start with you. Um, so the biggest thing is when you're, a parent, make a game plan with your kids. Not if the first time somebody sends you an image you don't want to see, but when, because we know it's, it's just going to be 
everywhere. And it might be a stranger online. It might be um, somebody they know. But when that image comes, what is your plan of action? Are you going to talk to an adult about it? Are you going to just delete it? Are you going to, you know, what what's appropriate? And for everybody that might be a little bit different course of correction, but I I think the best course is to give it to an adult so that the adult can take appropriate action and respond to it. Now, we can't always say parents because 40% of trafficking cases are familial. So right. it might be a parent, but it might be somebody else in the family system or somebody in the school system. Uh, we also know that a small percentage, but a, there is a percentage of um, adults in the school system that are doing trafficking and sex abuse. And, you know, it happens with teachers and coaches. So we can't, you know, we can't, there's not a one size fits all thing, but make that right. game. And then if you end up getting into a situation where you've actually shared an image of yourself, what then, what are you, what's your, what are you going to do then? The, what we're seeing is a high rate of suicide because the kids don't know what to do and they're, they're feeling shame and blame. And yeah. this is the difference in the perpetrator that the perpetrators are online. Our perpetrators okay. wanted silence. These perpetrators are saying, I'm willing to out you, to tell on you for doing this. Because, and they're, so they're shifting it and make, pointing the finger at the student or the child. And of course, the child is not to blame, but they immediately, right. as children, what's what we do? We take on the blame. So it's a little bit different conversation when we're talking about sex abuse images. It's also a little bit different conversation when you talk about sex trafficking. I think probably some of that same coercion is used that, you know, nobody wants you anymore. I'm going to tell them what you did. I'm going to tell them that, you know, you've had sex with 50 people at this point in your life. Um, and it's the traffickers aren't afraid of being outed the way that our perpetrators were uh, for right. child sexual abuse and my grandfather for trafficking. So, so it's a little bit different thing. And I think that's part of what we're trying to step up and adapt to as a culture and as a response system, we don't really know how to, what to do with this person that, because they've got so many levels of anonymity in the web, you know, internet world, we, they're not afraid of being outed or outing somebody else. I mean, Lordy. well, that's step number one. How do we make these people scared to death? So, that's right. So make a plan. Really, that's it. How do we put the fear of God in these people <laughs> who think they're so shielded? I mean, that's like a heart of the matter right there that they feel so untouchable in that way. Yeah. I love that, Angela. Thank you for that encouragement to sit down and have these conversations, create those game plans and, you know, be ready, just be ready, be diligent about it. Yeah. You know, I talked about it being youth, but, you know, go into the young adult, right? Go into the go into the young adult at stretch to kids that are still in college, kids that are just, yeah, you know, big time. Them. it doesn't matter that they're over 18. They're still liable. You know, they're still vulnerable to coercion. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. They're still our babies, no matter how old they get, <laughs> take care right. of them, watch out for them. Yes. Beautiful. John, final thoughts or words that you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, I, I think a lot of what, what Angela touched on, it, it, the, the online world is different than it was a generation ago. So, so not only do the, the parents need to know that, but the kids need to know that. You know, kids today think that having a thousand friends is a, is a goal. I think of that as a problem because I guarantee someone in that thousand friends or followers is not looking out for them, is not a true friend. 
And so you've got to have those conversations with, with the kids and have it often and, and talk about some of those dangers that, that are out there because these predators are going to look, you know, they're, they're there either to extort you with some kind of, um, you know, sextortion scheme. They either want more images or they want to meet. All of that can potentially lead to uh, trafficking, but there's a lot of other bad outcomes, you know, whether it's cyberbullying, depression, self-harm, et cetera. So kind of arming the parents with that knowledge, arming the kids and, and having them have those tough conversations. They're awkward, they're not a lot of fun, but that's what that's what needs to happen. So so they can, you know, if, if a kid is approached by a stranger or asked for an image, you can nip that in the bud before it before it gets out of control. Uh, and, and so I think that's that, that's what I would want, you know, your audience to walk away with is is really to have those tough conversations. Yeah, cheers to that. Right on. Well, thank you both so much for being here and sharing your stories and your expertise and your perspective and your hope, just like your encouragement that um, that there is healing available. Uh, John, how can folks get in touch with you? Yeah, so I do have a website. Uh, it's www.itisnotabout.com. And it has uh, descriptions of the books. There's a contact me that has email. All the books are on Amazon. And so uh, you can also check that out. Amazing. And I'll put that in the notes, show notes. And how about you, Angela? Uh, again, you can contact me off of my website. So it's risebeyondfreedom.com. Mm -hmm. That's so much beyond freedom. What's what's beyond freedom? We got to talk about that. Oh my gosh. Sounds like another episode. It is another episode. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, again, thank you both so very much. Cheers to you. I appreciate you all both so, 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 so much for having the conversation, for being, um, one day I hope to be able to say that you just came and had a conversation and it wasn't a bold and brave thing, but right now it still is a really bold and brave thing to do, but you're helping to normalize this conversation. Um, and the more that we do that, as we started out from the beginning of our, our talk today, um, the more that we'll be able to protect um, people who are being harmed. So thank you both very, very much. Take good care. We'll see you next time. Thank Thanks you for having us. Bye. And thank you everybody for tuning in and joining us today. Um, as always, you can pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the resources on the site. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.